The Hescock house sat off the main road, down a lane. Each home on the street was surrounded by a generously sized lot. Most had some sort of farm animal living on the property. On June 4th, this house was just an average home, easily missed. On June 5th, however, it became a crime scene. And in the days that followed, law enforcement searched the home, not only for evidence in Megan's kidnapping, but also for clues into what happened to Amber Hoops. This is She's Missing. We ask that if you know Megan or her family, that you continue to help protect her identity. This podcast discusses kidnapping and adult themes. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. A state forensics team is now searching the suspect's home for further evidence. Earlier today, investigators searched Hescock's house for clues about the kidnapping and any possible links to Amber Hoops. According to neighbors, the kidnapper lived in this house for nearly four years. He shared it with his mother, sister, and another little girl. Police have not released what information, if any, they found in his home. Hescock's house was the focus of police attention today as they look for clues in this and potentially other cases. Meanwhile, neighbors and friends looked on in disbelief. It was kind of shocking to me. I didn't, at first when I got told, I didn't believe it. And then as the story grew, I just, wow, it's kind of scary. I mean, he was a little off, but everybody's got their own little quirks. And he just didn't seem like, you know, I don't know how you figure somebody looks like that or acts like that or how you're supposed to figure that kind of stuff. But he just seemed like a normal guy to me, I guess. Truckloads of evidence were taken from the home. Deputies were given the unfortunate task of sifting through the perverse belongings of Keith Hescock. It would take weeks, if not months, to process all of the evidence collected, deeply affecting the deputies that had to comb through it. Aside from what was collected on the inside, it was important to talk to those that knew him best. As mentioned, Hescock worked at Classic Truck and Auto Body for six years. Coworkers say they're not surprised Suzanne Hawks. Neighbors around the home of Keith Glenn Hescock are staying quiet about the man who worked as a tool delivery driver. He's lived in eastern Idaho for several years and doesn't have a record in Idaho, but does have several felonies out of state. One person who knows him says when he heard of the abduction, he was not surprised at the deadly outcome. I was at first, but then when it all kind of came together, it didn't surprise me a bit, really. Dane is an employee at Classic Truck and Auto Body and worked here with Hescock for more than two years. This is also where Amber Hoops was abducted September 14th. Dane says Hescock is a sick man. He talked about little girls all the time. How that was the best, best one to have was a fresh young little girl, innocent that he could break him. At the time, I thought he was all talk. He now feels differently and feels confident there is a connection to Amber's case. Not only Hescock's conversations about liking young girls, but he also left Classic Truck and Auto Body on bad terms with the boss. While work moves on at Classic Truck and Auto Body, Dane and his coworkers know this story is far from over. I just feel awful bad for the family to see what they're going through and actually know that that he was maybe involved with this and to know that you've worked with him senior reporter suzanne hobbs reporting 
Uh, Dane also says he long felt that Hescock had something to do with the disappearance of Stephanie Crane. He says the suspect lived in Chalice at the time, and based on what he knows about Hescock, he only wished that he had made the call to the sheriff's office sooner than today. To be clear, Hescock never lived in Chalice. This bit of news was incorrect. He hunted in Chalice. He drove a truck similar to the one spotted in Chalice at the time of Stephanie Crane's abduction, and there may be some other startling connections to this case. However, let's step away from that for a minute to discuss something else. Can we all just agree that if anyone starts to talk to one of us about young girls in this way, that we will contact authorities. Sure, they might not be able to do anything, but they might also be looking into that person already, and your account might be valuable. It's better safe than sorry. Hearing this particular interview made my stomach turn, and it reminded me of one of the sadder moments that I remember from the interviews. I was interviewing Sergeant Kevin Cox, and he mentioned how frustrating it was to hear news reports like this after Megan was kidnapped. Nine months earlier, many of these same people were interviewed when Hescock was suspected in Amber Hoop's disappearance, but none of this was mentioned to the police. Here is part of that conversation with Sergeant Cox. See, that's the bad part, because those same people that are sharing that with the media were interviewed by us and never said a single bad word. It was like, well, he was weird. You know, like, I don't know how many months later, like, oh, he talked about little girls, you know. And I went hunting with him once. I never go again. He scared me. People called us to give us information after he was dead. And it all came down to the fact that they were afraid of what would happen to them if it got out that they said, and after he died, uh, some of them talked a lot and, and, you know, come forth with a lot of information. And uh, unfortunately, I think by that time, well, I'm pretty sure Amber met her fate fairly soon. Hescock's sister, mother, and niece never came back to Idaho to live. They moved out of state immediately after. This made me think, what happens to a home after something like this happens? Well, I was contacted by the daughter of the couple that ended up buying the home in the fall of 2002. Legally, they did not have to disclose anything to them about what had taken place in the house. But their friend, who was a realtor, filled them in. Over the years that they lived there, they allowed Amber's family to bring search dogs to the property. They also turned in some suspicious items that they found on the property to the police. I was told that they gutted the house. The police had dug up the septic tank and poked holes in many of the walls when searching it. So they remodeled the whole thing. However, there were still some things that looked the same. Yeah, so we were looking at houses and I, yeah, I'm just looking online. I find this house and it had a little more acreage or something. I don't remember, but there was something eye-catching about it. So I click on it and I start scrolling through these pictures and I'm like, huh, it's definitely like different. Like it's been remodeled, but then, and I didn't recognize it until I saw the bedroom 
And again, it's been remodeled, but that fireplace is still sitting there. And then I was like, wait a second. And then I went back through all of them and scanned through it again. And I'm like, this is the house. I swear this is the house. This has to be. So, of course, I look it up. It's on the same street and everything. And there was a part of me that was tempted to go walk through it again. And I didn't just because I'm like, what am I going to say? Like, hey, I want to come see this house because it's a bad memory. I don't know. Like, I guess I when I really thought through it, I just thought, I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish to go back there. Like, I don't have a wound I have to heal to go see that place again or anything. Like, it's just, it would just be more out of curiosity than anything. But, so I didn't. But it was interesting that that just so happened to pop up at the same time. This podcast was produced by me, Emily. You can find more information and a contact form at she'smissingpodcast.com. She's Missing is a Search Party Media production.